Thanks for tuning in to the CHCA Entrepreneurial Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Carter. And this podcast is made possible from the Entrepreneurship and Sustainability Program at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. In today's episode, I'm joined by the Simon Twins, Michael and David, class of 2018 from Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. Two young guys who knew in high school that they were going to be entrepreneurs, started a sneaker business that morphed into an ice-dyed sweatshirt business, and now they are on to all kinds of exciting projects on their entrepreneurial journey. So joining me today, I have a really exciting duo here, uh, David and Michael Simon. Now, David and Michael are class of 2018 from Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. And David and Michael, I want to thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having us. Super excited to be here. Absolutely. So part of what this podcast is all about is talking to entrepreneurs. And we've talked to entrepreneurs who have created and sold businesses, entrepreneurs who've dreamed about businesses, entrepreneurs who are in the process of business. And uh, and you guys are, you know, you're relatively young. You're out your class of 18 from high school. You're out there, you're on the entrepreneurial journey. And what I'd like you to tell our audience is just a little bit about what your business is. What what kind of market are you in? What are you um, you know, what what's your thing? So it- uh, Michael talking here. Um, so it all started with our passion growing up, going to Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. We had uniforms all the way from elementary through middle school. And we realized that a great way for us to express our individuality was through wearing unique sneakers. And um, we've always had kind of that expensive taste or that taste for the, you know, the product that stands out or looks cool to us. And we realized that there was a big market for those shoes that we like to wear to school. Um, and eventually we realized the older we got and um, the more independent we've become, we could make a, you know, a small business or learn to profit off of these shoes that we were buying. So what initially started as, you know, a product that we'd wear on a day-to-day basis, we realized if we could allocate several pairs, we could make a business out of it. And then eventually learn to, pay for tuition for school and do all kinds of other things. So David talking now. um, So it started, like you said, with sneakers and a little bit of streetwear. We would buy these these sneakers for retail price, whether that was through connections or figuring out how to get it online and obtain the item. And then we'd resell it on places like eBay, this website app called StockX. And so there's multiple places to sell them on, or you can do it locally. That was a great way to minimize fees and kind of maximize your revenues. And the thing about the sneaker industry is that sometimes it's a little bit inconsistent. For instance, I think it's been the past six months there. It's been extremely dry with uh, yeah, the supply it's, chain issues and COVID um, it was a lot harder to allocate a lot of profitable pairs. So that kind of brought us to what has been the real cool business that has blossomed since the beginning of pandemic when we were out of jobs was I'm actually wearing a sweatshirt right now. Um, what is called uh, ice dyeing. It's a type of tie dye. Uh, we thought it was really cool. We only wanted to make one for ourselves. And basically, we would see these dyed hoodies selling on these streetwear markets for $180 a piece. It would sell out instantly. And Michael, to his credit, was like, yeah, I think we can maybe try this out and make one. And then that kind of just started this whole movement. 
Yep. Michael here again. And yes, as soon as uh, it caught a couple of college students' eyes, we began to start producing them for people that lived on our street and then for small businesses. And now yeah, we've had a giant uh, project for a YouTuber where we've made a, a thousand units. So it's really been an unexpected blessing in our lives. And I, we never would have guessed it would have happened, but super lucky for it to all come together the way it has. Now, there, there's a lot to unpack in the journey that you just explained. And I, I do want to remind our listeners that we're talking to a couple guys who were class of 18 from CHC. We're not talking to guys in their mid-30s, you know, early 40s who are, you know, they're, they're out there. You guys are, are doing it. You guys are living this entrepreneurial vision. And I love how you said it started with this idea of expressing individuality where uniforms, obviously the whole purpose of them is to reduce individuality and create kind of a sameness and uniformity, of course. And you guys are like, hey, self-expressiveness now can happen through what I'm wearing on my feet. And obviously a lot of people were doing that. A lot of people wearing shoes, different expressing themselves through shoes. But you guys turn that into a business idea. And that's really what the I find exciting here is, you know, we talk about entrepreneurs as problem solvers, entrepreneurs as seeing opportunities. So where everyone else sees frustration in sameness and uniforms, you guys are like, hey, let's express ourselves. Hey, let's help other people express themselves. Hey, here's a business. Can you tell tell us a little bit more about when you when you first made that connection to here's something that we could actually sell, you know, that, that moment in an entrepreneur's life where you make that first sale and you're like, oh my gosh, someone else wants to buy what we have. What was that moment like for you? So for the shoe market, I remember I was, it's Michael here, um, for the shoe market when I was in seventh, eighth grade, I just got out of the, the hospital and I, me, uh, David, and then my older brother, Will Simon, class of 2016, we were at a store in the inner city called uh city gear and we walked in there and i knew that i saw this one shoe that i really liked and i knew it was a valuable shoe unfortunately they only had one pair and it was not my size but i was looking at it and it was on sale for a hundred dollars and i looked at it and i checked ebay on my ipod and i noticed i'm like i can sell this shoe that i pay a hundred dollars for for 250 and in that case it was a very lucky circumstance there was not a ton of strategy involved to make that happen. Obviously that has changed as time has gone on, but at the time it took one lucky encounter and, you know, I sold that pair to a friend and it kind of just grew with that. Um, whereas the hoodie thing, you can yeah, so tell them. The moment I knew that with the hoodies that there was like an opening for like the David talking right now um, would be just, it was like I said, beginning of the pandemic, Michael had the vision of let's make our own just for ourselves as personal. And that's one thing I want to note is that the shoes and the, the sweatshirts we're making, it all started as a passion. It's kind of a passion into a business. It wasn't just immediately, oh, let's just do this for money. It was, it was just easier because it was so organic and it was something we loved. And so basically where I'm going with this is we made one and it turned out really good. And thankfully it was really good because if we made our own, and it looked horrible, we probably would have never touched it again. Yeah. So not only did it look cool, um, I listed it on a website called Grailed. It's another secondary app. And I listed it for $150. And then I woke up the next morning and it was gone. And so that was kind of the first moment. There's so many cool stories with 
both the shoes and dyes that I would love to get into at some point. But yeah, it's all, all starts with like a maybe like a lucky encounter or like a small vision. And then it creates this domino effect, I think. Yeah. And one of the things that stood out in the comments that you made is it didn't start with you guys saying, hey, let's go make a bunch of money. Let's start a business. It started with, here's something we're passionate about. And then lo and behold, other people are too. And I think that's one of the important things for us as you know, wannabe entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs, is to understand you're not going out there starting a business for the sake of starting a business. You're spreading passion. You're spreading your interests. If you're not passionate about it, how are you going to get other people passionate about it? And I think that's what's so important. So obviously, you, you've you also shown through your story another really important concept that I think all entrepreneurs experienced in the wake of 2020, which was the need to pivot and have the ability to pivot. And so, I mean, I just, I mean, obviously the sneaker business was doing well, but the fact that you're now in hoodies shows that you are open to the possibilities of this business changing directions and morphing. So if you would tell us a little bit about the process of figuring out, you mentioned that the sneaker business was kind of drying up a little bit and that could be very discouraging. So what for you was sort of the catalyst for the pivoting that took place? The lucky part about the uh, streetwear sneaker industry is, um, especially the order we got, the more you know sneakers and clothing can be uh, closely aligned. And the biggest pivot I realized was there was about a month of no release shoe releases, and yeah, there was no room for profit or money to be made. And yet, it was also just like the whole shoe thing, where it was that passion where I saw it. And I wanted one simply for myself. And I'll tell you what, one hard part about having such a strong passion for the sneakers and clothing is that it is hard to take sometimes the emotion out of it. Like when I make something so cool, I want to keep it for myself or, you know, I don't want to let it go. Um, but I yeah. learned, that's what I uh, learned. I taught to pivot was seeing that it really dried up and that I had an equally a strong passion for clothing. I will also like to add, David talking, um, would be simply that there was an opportunity in the sense that the sneaker market is really niche. And not only does the sneaker market love the ice dye hoodies, because that's the demographic that it usually sells to, so many other people, just really anybody that likes to express themselves, loves to wear clothing like the ice dye hoodies. Or just to give a description of it, it's not your typical tie dye. It almost has this like marble effect to it and it's higher quality. It looks better. It's not so old and tacky. Um, but yeah, basically what I'm saying with this is that with the opportunity with just the dyed hoodies is we could sell not only to the sneaker market, we could also sell to parents, younger kids, high schoolers. And it was just like, not only can we sell to our community, we can just really expand this because it's eligible to anybody, not just middle age yeah the primary demographic for the sneaker i guess culture if you will is more kind of people like david and i the 22 year old college kids there's obviously a, a, some occasional exceptions whereas the ice dye hoodie we noticed that everyone was behind it um there's even a lot sometimes we had a lot of orders during the christmas time for people's parents or grandparents or little kids and that was something that we were totally new to yeah opening a new market interesting and, you know, speaking of these new markets, you mentioned that you attracted the attention of uh, a YouTube influencer, I guess, who then bought a thousand units from you. Tell us about that experience. 
Okay. Yeah. So that is the coolest part I think about all of this is that a lot of the demographic that we've sold to has not been sneaker consumers. It's been, you know, so the YouTube influencer, her name is Hannah Biles. I think she has about close to 600,000 subscribers on YouTube. And that's part of the hard work of entrepreneurship is a lot of it is out of your control. And luckily someone in our family reached out on her Instagram page and said, looking for local tie dye. And so basically they put us onto her. I got a direct message on my Instagram page and she said, I'd love to hop on zoom with you guys. It almost seemed like a fake message because <laughs> she was verified on Instagram. And I was like, what? Um, and then, so basically we hopped on zoom with her and she said, I wanted 300 sweatshirts. We're like, okay, that seems pretty daunting. Um, eventually backed out, came back maybe two to three months later by the time summer was over and said she needed a thousand sweatshirts and actually they're online available now at her website. I believe it's just hannahbiles.com. And basically I think it took us all semester long in our backyard dying these a thousand sweatshirts. And so that part was miserable. We're in the middle of, we could both go to the university of Cincinnati. We'd both take five or six classes each semester. And so just being able to, stay up to school, you know, having fun with friends, but also coming back home to our house in Montgomery close by CTA or going back to Clifton to attend class. It was exhausting, but it's cool because it really worked out and there's going to be more deals with the YouTube influence in the future. And so it's only going to continue to grow. Yeah. And uh, one message I'd like to add for any uh, Cincinnati Hills entrepreneur, it would be, we had no idea this opportunity was going to come. The one thing I'd say I'd give us credit for is we kept doing our thing and kept being us and the opportunities came. Um, so don't, I say, if you have a passion for something, don't go into it expecting, you know, these major deals or blessings to fall upon you. I'd say, follow your passions and the opportunities will come. And it's interesting that there's a lot I want to, I want to dig into here from what you just said, but on, on the very last comment, it's interesting you say that because you're you're right. You know the opportunities will come, but there's something also that you've demonstrated without your entrepreneurial journey is when it comes, you got to grab that sucker, and that's what I think so often people do is they'll sit and they'll say, "Oh, there's opportunity," but then they don't grab at it and chase it down, and that's really one of the key pieces. I, I heard a story a long time ago. It was um, there, there's there, there's some kind of mythological god who's the god of opportunity and. He only has hair in the front of his face. It hangs down the front of his face. And the idea is he comes running at you and you got to grab his hair or he's gone and you can't grab anything. You just have that one chance. And I think that's so key in, in your story. And one of the things that I want to ask you about that is this idea of the grind and the hard work because, you know, someone might look on this and be like, oh, sweet, you guys sold a thousand sweatshirts. Awesome, you made some money. And then you basically just said, no, that was our semester working after school, late nights, you know, missing out opportunities to hang out with friends, social life. And I think this is something that it's important for us to talk about with entrepreneurship is that it's, you know, there, there is the glamour and the fun, and then there's the grind. And the fact that you two have to knock out a thousand of your products to sell to someone, you know, with this opportunity. So tell us a little bit about how you managed, if you did, finding a balance in your life or, or dealing with that season of work that that job brought to you. Yeah. So I think it started off with prioritizing this project above all else. We kind of made it clear that 
this project was a huge opportunity for us in that we did not have time to do any of the small individual orders, the other small businesses. We kind of decided to hone in on this. And you're absolutely right, Mr. Carter, in the sense that we had to extend so many hours um, as students and also working jobs and David working an internship himself. Um, we also just had to get, you know, some people behind us. We oftentimes absolutely. had our our parents or our brother or a couple friends come and help with us because um, a thousand pro, uh, units between two people obviously is a huge feat. And yeah, you're right on, you know, when we made that final post on the Instagram sharing what we did, it's very easy for someone to be like, wow, they got so lucky getting this opportunity. They made so much money from it, yada, yada, yada. But the reality is there were a lot of nights I was kind of questioning whether we should keep going with this or nights that I was ticked off um, and yeah. very, very not motivated. But I, we stuck through it and you kind of just got to hold that vision because motivation is something you cannot count on every day. And I also would like to add um, with just the whole entrepreneurship grind part of it is that one part about it that, you know, just depends on the person, but I really enjoy is that it's definitely not very structured. It's almost like the weekends are fair game. You're not just working nine to five and then taking the weekends off. It's always just a level of, you can always kind of maximize your time with it. But I think the crucial part for us was using our resources, the people around us asking questions as there was a lot we didn't know. I think with the YouTube project, we had to sign multiple contracts and do multiple things. Bring an attorney. Yeah. And it was just a lot of extra work and logistics and very new experience. Quite frankly, all we knew how to do was just design the hoodies. And then we also had to figure out, you know, the pricing behind it and how we were going to make sure that we made money on this because. And they didn't get too, but yes, they wouldn't get a good deal out of us. Or so there's a fair deal. Yeah. It's just not easy to maximize revenues and you know, minimize your losses with all of it. So it's just a lot of work and it's definitely not as glamorous at times as it can be, but it is also at the same time, very rewarding. Sure. Well, and one of the things you mentioned earlier was the whole pivot into sweatshirts was caused by supply chain issue and disruption in the supply chain. And it sounds to me that your pivot when that happened was to say, well, if that's the case, we'll create our own supply chain. And I think that's an also important concept for our listeners is, you know, when obstacles come your way, it's not necessarily the end of the game. It's not time for you to sit down and say, poor me. It's time for you to say, how can I use this obstacle to my advantage? And I've heard that time and time again in your story. And something else that has come up a couple times in your story that I'd love for you to talk about is the need for an entrepreneur to have a community. You mentioned that, you know, you had your parents helping, your brother helping, your friends helping. Um, earlier, you mentioned, you know, hanging out with your brother, your, your, your older brother uh, at the sneaker store. And I'm just curious what your experience has been. I know that, that you two personally are in a family of entrepreneurs. And I just want to know what that experience of having that family community and the social community around you has helped you on your journey. Yeah, absolutely. I think it just gives you a good balance and gives you more energy to put into it. A lot of times I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs kind of like this lone wolf, do it on my own mentality. And I've seen that time and time again. There's actually been some local sneaker stores where I know one guy runs his whole business by himself. And, you know, doing that by yourself and having no employees or no community around you, I just remembered his hours were so inconsistent. It was almost just like 
the, the store will be open from 2 to 8 p.m. because that's when I will be free. And just having community, if we had a storefront, we would be able to be open whenever we would need to be. And so we've just gotten to a point where we've built so many relationships and so many connections that whether we want to sell sneakers and streetwear, you're able to make connections and make good deals quickly. And then same with the hoodies. That's what was so great about the hoodies was we had so many people that believed in us and not only just loved the hoodie design, it was just able to create this word of mouth really quickly. So not only were they just helping us with our business, but they were also just putting us out there and helping it grow and just helping us to get these YouTube deals. And there's just, I can think of a couple other stories where just, completely out of our control. And the reason why we got the deals was because the community of people we have around us were looking out for us. Yeah. And to add to David's point, I'd say, um, you know, I think our, one of our biggest advantages that David or the biggest skills, one of the biggest skills David and I have learned is our ability to be coached by people who know more than us or people who do have it better than us, um, in this industry. Um, by shopping at the stores that we like to shop at or advertising our stuff on social media, we've always been the ones to compliment others for their work and congratulate them for their successes. And in return, they'd be often nice enough to talk to us or answer our questions or just simply just meet with us for coffee. And that is, I think, what we can attribute a lot of our success to is we've kept an open mind. There are a lot of entrepreneurs who can be pretty stubborn and believe that, oh, I've made this much money um, and I'm doing this on my own. Like, I don't need anybody's help. But I tell you what, there is always going to be someone out there who knows more than you, who's better than you. And if you're willing to kind of take your ego down and keep your mind open, you'll experience a lot of success. I love the way that you worded that. And it reminds me of the famous business writer and speaker, uh, Zig Ziglar, who is famous for saying that you can have everything you want if you help enough other people get what they want. And hearing you talk about that, you know, you, you're looking at your competition. You're looking at people who, I mean, realistically, you wouldn't necessarily want to be complimenting, want to be encouraging, but you guys are like, no, like we want to learn from them. We want to, you know, uh, help uh, empower them. And in doing that, you are reaping the rewards and the benefits that, that come with that, which I think is such a great part of your story. And I do want to circle back a little bit to the fact that you graduated from the school that many of our listeners are attending, many of our listeners are sending their children to the school, and some of our listeners may, may not even be familiar with the school, but at the school, we do have an entrepreneurship program. This wasn't exactly in existence or, or as built up when you were going through your time there. And so if you had to reflect back on high school, both on the things that you learned that helped you, but also on the things that you wish had been taught to you in those early formative years. Can you give me a glimpse or an idea of maybe some of the concepts, maybe some of the principles or lessons that you would say, you know what, had we learned this in high school, we would have avoided some mistakes and it had a smoother ride. Is there anything like that that stands out to you? Absolutely. I'd say the one class that was helpful to me, and I feel like I could find myself relating to a lot, was the economics class with uh, Mr. Vanderkoek. But outside of that, I 100% agree that there was a, a lot of missing aspects that I tend to learn from my own experience. Um, I'd say the first thing was kind of the Excel spreadsheets. Uh, I did not have get to do that a lot in high school. Uh, I had to a couple times, but it wasn't frequent. 
And I had to learn how to account well with the profits and the losses and the margin. And that was a huge part for us that we kind of learned as we went. And it definitely hurt, hurt us when it comes to maximizing profits. So that was a big yeah. one for us. And I would just say like maybe, yeah, with budgeting your money is super crucial. I think that's been the biggest part that's been a problem for us is almost like the psychological aspect of it, of taking the emotion out of it and using a certain amount of money, you know, for, you know, what you want to spend on. And maybe like what we call just like fun money where we can spend it on these sneakers and streetwear items for ourselves and have personal money, but also extracting, you know, money for the business and using that money to make money on top of money and stacking it. And so that's been something that was really difficult for us is because it was such a passion. We were for so long just consumers and not realizing that, hey, if we were more disciplined from the beginning, we would have unbelievable amount of money opposed to just wasting it early on when we were younger and a little more naive. Yeah, I would say to any uh, current CGA student who's listening to this and does a, maybe it's a, in the sneaker culture like David and I or a separate business, I'd say start now on saving that money or investing that money into yourself as opposed to, you know, it, it's going to be very difficult to take the emotion out of it. But I believe that if David and I started the, the, the focusing more on the profits and the personal stuff, at that point in high school, we would have, we would have new cars. Trip, triple the amount of money oh my we have made that, uh, than we have now. So, I mean, it was the, the lesson that we learned was extremely valuable, but I'll tell you what, take it from us that start now. There's no, there's no better time than now. And you don't need to wait until you have more independence in college or no, you have great teachers ahead of uh, here at CGA who are willing to teach you that financial literacy and entrepreneurship. Absolutely. And, and that's part of why we, we've incorporated that into our curriculum. And it's, it's interesting because that is for many entrepreneurs, the failing or the fatal flaw is the financial piece. And it's so tricky because the money starts coming in and immediately there's this feeling of the need to reinvest that in the business, reinvest, keep growing the business. I mean, I, I've i heard, as I'm sure you have, stories of these entrepreneurs overseeing even seven-figure businesses, and yet they're bringing home minimal paychecks because the business is eating it all up and that concern over profit. And I am curious how you learned those things, whether it was trial by error, whether it was, you know, college courses. I mean, how, how do you learn how to deal with the profits from your business and what to do with all that? What, what was that curve like for you? Yeah, it was definitely one of those things that we learned from trial and error, I would believe. And it was just like, we would use the money and then we'd spend it back on us and it was so poorly executed. And we just found ourselves where we got in this hole where we were like, we were, we're negative. We are in debt right now. And since we're spending all the money on ourselves, we can't buy shoes to resell and make more money. And so it was almost just, we had to hit rock bottom before we could actually make moves and have the discipline of staying on top of the finances and making sure that you had money to spend and invest in the business and then making sure you have money set aside to, you know, live your personal life. And so that was the most difficult part. Yeah. One thing, one concept that's very interesting to me is I always just thought, whatever money that came in was kind of my money. And I think one thing you need, everyone should try to remember is that money, although maybe your business is the business's money and you could still pay yourself, but I would not try to, I encourage people to not view that 
that revenue as strictly your money. Like, oh, I made the sale. This is my money now. Instead, view it as the business's money. And I think that's a great way to learn, kind of distance yourself from that temptation of, you know, or concern and stress levels that can come from figuring out where to distribute your profits. Now, to to change directions just a little bit and go back to something you touched on earlier, when you pivoted from the sneaker industry into a little bit more of what you're creating with your ice dyed sweatshirts and, and things like that, one of the concepts that we discuss with the entrepreneurs in the program is the range of business models that a person can start. And one of the very popular business models, which it sounds like you started with, was the buy and resell model, where you buy something and then you resell it for more money, and then that's the profit. And so that's a very straightforward model. And then, of course, there's the model where you have a service you're providing as your business, and then there's the model where you are creating something and selling. And you two sort of went from a buy and resell to a create and sell. And I'm curious, and, and I this may just be conjecture on my part, but is is there more of a sense of ownership and passion for you in selling a product that you yourselves brought into existence? I would say a hundred percent absolutely. I think the best the thing about reselling is it's not your product, you're obtaining someone else's. And also to a lot of it is just out of your control. A lot of the items we were selling and reselling were sneakers, like we mentioned. And those were brands like Nike, New Balance, and Adidas. Everyone sees those brands. Everyone knows what the shoe is. We didn't create that shoe. And so you're right. The level of ownership is just super special to us. And it was really cool. I'll give one quick story. Um, WWE, this the fake wrestling company that um, was started way back when. It's on TV every week. One of the WWE wrestlers reached out to Michael and I on Instagram, has over a million followers. Another crazy story. I grew up watching the show. I knew who it was. So it was really cool to me. His name's Kofi Kingston. Maybe one of your students know who he is, but basically reached out to me and said, hey, I want three jumpsuits, ice dyed sweatshirts, and I'm going to wear them on the show. And it was just, you could never, you see so many people wearing cool sneakers everywhere, but seeing an item you made for, three to 4 million people watching on the USA network on a Monday night was unbelievable. And that was full ownership by us. Yeah. And that, yeah, that goes for, I think a lot of our projects is, is just seeing like college students wearing our products or, you know, one of the David Switcher right now, the peace, love, little donuts restaurant. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. shop in Oakley that you'll see like those hanging on the, on the racks for sale. It just those kind of things we realized that i personally did that myself was a very cool experience. And I also on the business aspect, like you said, it's a whole different model. And I would say this model is more bread and butter because it's, you can do made to order. So it's very minimal risk and very high profit. So we, we get all of our sweatshirts from a wholesaler and we don't have to order those sweatshirts or out, allocate them until someone asks for and it. someone orders it and asks for it. So we don't have a bunch of white sweatshirts waiting around to be dyed and just being tied up in inventory and losing money. Instead, it's, oh, this coffee shop wants 20 of them. Oh, let's order the 20. We can give them, we can charge them uh, our fee and then that's it. And I think that's one business model that's super successful, whether it's ice dye or your own t-shirts. It can be, I encourage that to anyone who wants it doing the clothing industry is made to order is a very profitable way uh, of doing business. 
And one of the things that you mentioned just then was that you were reached out to on Instagram. And I think all entrepreneurs now, young, old, new, and ones who are just, you know, out there and have been doing it for years, everyone's talking about using social media. And traditional methods of advertising for entrepreneurs are out the window. You know, I mean, the, the whole idea of radio ads or even television spots are gone. And now it is social media as the number one driver of sales and ads and so on and so forth. And you've had some some very uh, profitable encounters on social media with YouTube influencers and people reaching out via Instagram. And obviously, you know, some of our listeners will say, well, you guys are of a generation that understands social media a little bit more. You've grown up with social media. It still, it still doesn't make it easy when it comes to selling and marketing. What can you share with us about your experience of not only creating something, but then going out there and trying to sell it through your social media channels? Yeah, I think it all started from our personal Instagram accounts. I mean, is it, like we've said before uh, to most of your questions is that we uh, had a, the passion for the clothing sneaker industry. So we always like to showcase it on those pages. And in those comment sections or in our direct messages, people would always be very complimentary of, oh, I love your outfit or, oh, those shoes are so cool. Where'd you get them? Or, oh, did you make that hoodie yourself? And when we received those compliments, I think that kind of gave us the the fire that someone would, would, you know, if we were to do something about it or make a business out of it, that it would be successful. But I would also like to add on, I think that one customer told me when I made a hoodie early on, they're like, oh, I love that you're doing this. I love being able to buy from an individual person opposed to just some company where it's super saturated and commercialized. It was almost... And I originally thought I put so much pressure on myself and us to have a website and LLC and a brand and all these super strict tight knit things to make it all official and have like a LinkedIn profile for it and all these things. And I just wasn't doing what was working and people loved the personal aspect of it. It almost felt organic. And it was so talk about expressing individuality is these companies would make these sweatshirts, but they would do it. 500 of them and they'd all be the same looking pattern. What was cool about us was, is that we could leverage that we're just two guys, we're twins. They thought that was kind of cool and that attracted some people in. But then also that, hey, whatever you want, whatever size you want, whatever colors you want, we can do that specifically for you. You don't have to, you can have whatever you want basically. So we just provided a very custom and unique service. And that's something that Instagram allowed us to do just on a personal level, which is really cool. So we can really connect with our customer opposed to them just hopping on a website, having no clue who we were. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you guys have? What's your next step? What do you have planned for the future? What are the next, you know, the next year, the next five years look like for your business? Yeah, absolutely. So like I mentioned before, the sneaker industry is still very dried up. It's very inconsistent. And that's why I am so grateful that we've shifted from the buying and reselling, and that has come more of a side thing. With the dyed sweatshirts, um, it continues to grow. It's one thing we were trying to adapt to more is we always did sweatshirts. And so now that it's becoming springtime and summertime, that means, you know, coming out with shirts and shorts and different things like that. So we still have the YouTube influencer deal right now. We're going to be doing stuff. I can't give too much teasers of that, but just some cool items with that, cool products with that. Um, definitely maybe looking into working for entrepreneurial companies around the city and then kind of building this on the side. Yeah. And then maybe eventually 
as it continues to blossom, we can, if it's good, just have multiple streams of income, we would stick in that. However, we start to see real growth this maybe five years down the line, maybe even quicker than that, have our own storefront, which would be awesome where we'd have a lot of this stuff. And so I think, I know I'm kind of rambling on here, but I think the vision we originally had was our own sneaker and streetwear store where we'd have Nike products and other products and then a few of our own. However, we've also realized that maybe just a service would be a really good idea, like on a website where that's where a lot of the success has been for the dyed sweatshirts is not having our names or logos on it. It's actually been, hey, we can make your product look good and then you can put your logo on it. So yeah, kind of offer it for universities or uh, other high schools or and so making sure and yep. so making sure maybe we offer quantity color and size and then also you know the logo you want on it. so it's kind of just more personalized to you obviously that wasn't our original plan but like you mentioned earlier just being open and adapting to what works and putting your pride aside so maybe a good service starting with a website could be what we see doing in the after post-graduation yeah that's amazing and and really exciting. So um, if you could, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, could you just tell our listeners, where, where do we go to learn more about what you're doing? I mean, tell us, tell us uh, where we should, what we should check out, where we should go to find out about your products and any future ventures. Yeah, absolutely. So I think Michael and I's LinkedIn pages always keep update to what products we're releasing. Um, let me pull up this website real quick. So hannahbiles.com, it's spelled just Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, and then Biles, it's kind of pronounced it weird, but it's B-A-Y-L-E-S. And so if you check out her website, you can get a general idea of what some of our product looks like and what the dyed sweatshirts look like. And then you can also just feel free to uh, check out me on Instagram, um, Mike at Michael, and then the letter A, and then Simon. Um, I'm very open to communicate, you know, my story or answer any questions that you guys may have. And yeah, and Instagram for me, I took a little bit of a break from it because it has been so hectic, but I'm going to probably reactivate it really soon. And that is at David B. Simon and the Simon is S-I-M-A-N. And so, yeah, we'd be happy to reach out, happy to make custom hoodies for anybody. We'd be also happy just to talk and give advice and give our wisdom. So, Yeah. Awesome. Well, you guys, I, I just want to thank you for your time and your insights and sharing your journey with us. Yeah. Thank awesome. So much for having yeah, us, Mr. Carter. So it's been a blast. And that concludes this episode of the CHCA Entrepreneurial Podcast. For more episodes, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And to learn more about the school and possibly be a sponsor of both the program and the podcast, check out chca-oh.org.